Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Hello and welcome again to the Grave Plot Podcast, a member of the Podgods Network. That's podgodsnetwork.com. I am Skeletoni. And I am Taylor of Terror. And we'd like to welcome you to week two of Octoberama. This is going to be Week of the Zombie. Thank you, Taylor. Um, That's going to be my thing every week, just so you know. Oh, good. Like last week, you know, I went vampire, but zombies don't talk, no matter what John Russo says. So, right. that's what you get, is that noise. All right. Um, this is also something very special for us, personally. Um, Taylor, tell them what's going on. Well, technically, tomorrow is, but today... It's close enough. It is the one-year anniversary of the Grave Plot Podcast. Hey! People said we were crazy. People said it couldn't be done. Who's <laughs> um, God damn it, I'm t- tangled up here. Uh, dear, shit, 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 shit. Nope. Okay, I'm good. Um... So yeah, this is pretty exciting. Yeah, and as an aside, we have a small announcement. Uh, we have been doing this for a year now, and we have been paying out of pocket for all expenses. Yeah. And uh, don't, don't worry, we're not going subscription or anything. Yeah. Uh, the Grave Plot Podcast has always been and will always be free. Uh, yeah, and we don't really want to lose our listeners. <laughs> Probably all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, nor are we going to ask you for donations, because donations is just you paying for a good idea. Right. Instead, what we're going to do is start up an online store. So, if you like us, and you want to help us out, and, you know, not only monetarily, but spread the word, go to graveplotpodcast.com. You'll see a brand new link up at the top of the page that'll say store. You can, right now we have t-shirts and buttons that you can buy. So, uh, you know, you get a five-pack of buttons for seven bucks. Turn around, sell them for $1.50 a piece. You can make your money back. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to have a lot of resale value. Oh, you don't know. All right. <laughs> um, they're the new pogs. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, We've also got something pretty awesome coming down the pipe. Um, don't want to tell you about it yet. Yeah, that's still a, a little uh, little Halloween surprise. Yeah, but look forward to it. Uh, I guess you're going to put it out when our Halloween episode comes out, right? I think that's the plan, yeah. Okay. Um, which is going to be... The October 28th. 28th. Yes. Wait, 20, 29th. Oh, 29th. You're right. Yep. Um, and again, yeah, for that episode, have we said what we're doing for that episode no okay well for that episode um like i mentioned i'm not going to be here for actual like in studio recording but what we are going to do is we're going to go to a couple different local haunts um particularly we're going to go to the cube 93 um georgetown morgue uh haunt and also the nightmare or the haunted nightmare at the the nile um um 
And yeah, those are some pretty popular haunts here in the Seattle area. We're going to go check those out, and then we're going to come back on the show, and we're going to talk about them for a little while. Yeah, those are going to be our reviews in lieu of, of movies mm-hmm. for that episode. Um, and for the actual horror business section, Taylor's going to have a, a special guest in with him to uh, fill in, in my absence. So. Yes. Is that a surprise? or? Well, I don't, I don't want to say something and then have it fall through, so I'm just, just going to keep it... Keep it on the down low for now. All right. Um, so it's been a week. Anything new with you? Uh, no. I'm just getting ready to go to the Pumpkin Beer Festival here in Seattle later today. Yeah, you and your fucking beer festivals. Dude, they're so fun. Yeah, and you're a drunk. Daddy needs his medicine, right, Taylor? <laughs> hey, I went <laughs> I went to the Pumpkin Beer Festival last year, and it was fantastic, and I had a shitload of fun. So I'm looking forward to going again. Mm-hmm. I like anything pumpkin flavored and especially pumpkin beer, so pumpkin duke. Never had pumpkin dick. Not sure <laughs> what that would be. Some some kind of gourd. <laughs> some kind of phallic gourd. <laughs> Alright. Um so this is our first mini sode. Um, not our first, but as far as Octoberama. So we're going to forego the formalities of horror business and just jump right into our reviews. And this being uh, Week of the Zombie, obviously we've got two zombie films to review. Um, so let's jump into that. All right, start off with, um, which one do you want to do? I don't care. All right, let's do The Dead. This is Flight Engineer Lieutenant Brian Murphy. Can anyone hear me? I'm stranded in hostile territory, under constant attack. Without food or water, I need help. My God, you're still alive. You're American. It's a long journey for me alone. Maybe it's not possible. I will tell help. Maybe. Alright, so The Dead takes place in Africa, and it was actually filmed on location in Africa. Um, It's about a military uh, engineer by the name of Lieutenant Brian Murphy. And when the whole zombie outbreak happens, he's on a plane of survivors trying to leave. One of them ends up turning, the plane ends up going down. And uh, Murphy's the only survivor. Well, I think you should mention that him being the engineer, he was on the plane attempting to take off, and he was telling the other people on the plane that it's not ready. True, true. So I was trying to tell you it's not ready to fly. So, Right. Um, yeah, and like I said, he's the only survivor. This, this movie has no backstory as far as the, the zombies. No... 
even inclination of where this came from. You just you start out right in the thick of it, right, right in the middle of the entire uh, outbreak. So, uh, Lieutenant Murphy is trying to find a way off Africa. He's trying to find a, off Africa. Off Africa. <laughs> like it's an island. <laughs> So he finds this little beat-up jalopy of a truck, and he's driving that around looking for an airport. And he picks up this uh, sergeant in, like, is he, like, African Army, or what is Uh, I got the impression that they are, like, basically broken up into tribes, and it seemed like almost like, if I understood it right, each tribe kind of has their own army militia type thing okay yeah i'm not i'm not sure if that's accurate but it, that's kind of the impression that i got well he picks up this guy by the name of sergeant daniel dembele uh, he actually gets saved gets his life saved by daniel from uh from the zombies mm-hmm. he gets overtaken while trying to change a tire or no he gets stuck he gets stuck in the mud and he's right yeah, he's trying to get out. And so uh, Daniels tells him the airport's gone. Your your people blew it up. Mm-hmm. But there's a small airfield. But there's no planes. Or the, none of the planes work. But then Murphy says, you know, I'm an engineer. I can probably... Luckily, I'm an engineer. <laughs> I can make a plane or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Daniel says... I'll, I'll show you where it is if you give me this truck. Yeah. Because I need to find my son. Right. So, the rest of the movie is basically them driving around through this zombie-infected uh, African wasteland, basically. Trying to get to this airport. And when they finally do, uh, there's nothing there they can use. And uh, then they, they run across this other militia kind of and they take them in for a little bit and Daniel's hoping his son is there but he's not so they just keep traveling and uh I don't I don't want to spoil the end but yeah being that this is only four years old uh the moratorium's still in place right um yeah, this was. Uh, I mean, it's it's a zombie movie, so it's not the most complicated of plots, right? Um, this uh, was. I felt like it was more reminiscent of kind of like voodoo zombie movies, um, in that it had a much more. Uh, God, I don't. I don't even know how to explain my thoughts. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just. It, it seemed like rather than it being like some kind of chemical outbreak that overtakes the world. I mean, like you mentioned, there's no explanation of what caused it. But yeah, there's nothing. They don't say that it's a disease. They don't say that it's voodoo. They don't say that it's anything. Like, right. There's there's just no explanation whatsoever. Yeah. It just, I guess, mainly because it has more of a not not rustic, but 
I don't know, more of it like an like an tribal and native type feel to it. I don't know. I mean, you, you get what I'm saying? I I think so. I mean, rather than being, I mean, it's not like suburban like most zombie movies that we're used to. Yeah, it's it's in the uh, not outback. That's Australia. Um, but I mean, it's in like the Sahara. Yeah, it's in or, like I mean, it's, it's a it's a desert area in in Africa. Right. It's not like cities. Right. It's just barren desert. You know, with these tribes, yeah, um, and I mean, uh, I mean, being that it is in Africa, and it like, except for like, I think maybe like three or four white zombies, all of the zombies, and most of the cast, like uh, I mean, main and supporting cast, they're all black. Yeah, I mean, like all African, and I, I think it was actually shot on location in Africa, if I'm not mistaken. It was, yeah. <clears throat> um, so it just had that more authentic feel to it, um, being that it was very, it was because it was in Africa. It had that um, African kind of. Like I said, like tribal feel to it. Yeah, I mean, with zombie movies, we're so used to these like barren, abandoned cities where mm-hmm. you look down the street and you don't see anybody, and that's weird and creepy. But this, it's like there's no streets, there's there's nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's like even if there wasn't a zombie outbreak, there would be nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that being the case, and the fact that I think we're probably kind of jaded by things like. Uh, she's Walking Dead, for example. I mean, predominantly, at least in the first couple seasons, uh, in a like metropolitan area, mm-hmm. you know, it's just abandoned city. Um, I think we're kind of jaded by things like that, and that is more intimidating, intimidating to us. And that might have a lot to do with the fact that that's just kind of our environment. So when you take a film like this and put it in the um, the African desert uh, I think maybe people that haven't been in that kind of environment maybe it, it doesn't affect them as much because it doesn't seem like it affected me as much I wasn't it's, well it's harder to relate to sure yeah yeah. it's, it's really a um, uh, uh, foreign concept yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, different strokes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that, f- for me, not that I was completely removed from the movie. It just, the fact that it was outside of my area of knowledge. I mean, like, I don't know what it's like to live in a desert or right. live in, you know, uh, a desert village. Right. Um and so those kind of situations and the idea of imagining a zombie outbreak in that kind of environment just it didn't strike a chord with me you know yeah i mean the one thing about it is there's not really anywhere to hide yeah you know when you're in a suburban area you can break into a house or a store 
and you can hide out, you can bore it up. But when you're out in the middle of the desert, there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And that was a situation in a, in a lot of um, in the most of this movie is that. Uh, Brian and Daniel, they had to keep moving like pretty much at all times. Yeah. Uh, there's one point in the movie where they're, I mean, obviously being out in the uh, the desert, uh, dehydration is a big issue. So they're constantly on the hunt for a water source. And they actually happen to pump across a, a well pump. And they're pumping water, and it almost seemed like they had stayed there for a while, probably just getting their fill of water, you know, you know kind of give themselves kind of a, uh, a hobo bath, yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, but, you know, it, in most situations, you'd think, oh, man, I can stay here all day. But then this crowd of zombies starts approaching them, and, you know, they have to drop what they're doing, pack up in the truck, and take off. Yep. And so, I mean, that was constant. That was a tense, like a constant source of tension in the movie, I think. Um, is that they, they had to keep moving constantly. Yeah. They didn't have the luxury of, like you said, like breaking into a house or you know, creating a stronghold for themselves. They didn't have anywhere to go. Right. And these zombies are slow. They are. Like, even compared to like the classic zombies, these zombies are slow. Yeah. Because, you know, you watch, like, Night of the Living Dead or something... And you'll see the zombies will move slow, but then when they get somebody in their sights, they'll, like, kind of speed up to grab them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen in this. They're slow, constantly. Yeah. And uh, they're also, like, they don't, they're not just gory. Like, they, they all look like they're fairly recent mm-hmm. zombies. Yeah, that was something I was going to point out, too. Yeah, They're not decaying, they're not falling apart, and they're not just, you know, covered in goop. They, they basically just look, you know, pale comparatively um and then kind of like chalky almost mm-hmm. which i thought ashy <laughs> i didn't want to say that but <laughs> um which i thought worked yeah yeah definitely um there was like you said they were all relatively fresh any kind of uh decomposition or gore on them it was basically, it seemed like it was just stuff that had happened, like, at the point of death. You know, maybe, like, the zombie that bit them was feeding on them, and that was the extent of their kind of battle damage, I guess. Yeah, or, like, some of them had blood from a victim. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, like, dripping down their mouth and all over their clothes. Yeah. But, yeah, there wasn't a lot of just decaying bodies. Yeah. And that was another thing that kind of... Uh, put me in the mindset of like more of a voodoo type thing is the fact that there wasn't a lot of gore. Yeah, I can see that. So just, you know, basically just walking mindless slaves. There was the zombie with the broken leg. Yeah. That was just walking as if he didn't have a broken leg. Right. At the very beginning when Brian washes up on the beach, um, there's actually like a small horde of zombies. Looks like there's another survivor with him and they're on the beach and they're coming after him. And um, there's this one zombie. He doesn't have legs, so he's just kind of like pulling himself um, across the across the beach with his with his hands, like Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. Yeah, I um, have no legs. <laughs> um, but it wasn't. He wasn't doing like an army crawl. He was actually like shuffling or like like pulling himself, much like I, I imagine the guy actually walks in real life. 
like kind of pulls himself by mm-hmm. his hands and kind of hops a little bit. <laughs> um, what did you think of uh, Murphy, actor by the name of Rob Freeman? Uh, like as a character? As an actor. Um, he was all right, I think, For you know, for the most part. I think if you took Billy Bob Thornton and just got rid of all his years of acting experience, <laughs> then you would have Rob Freeman. <laughs> yeah, he was um, a little over the... Not, not even necessarily over the top. Dry. Just, yeah. He was dry. He didn't have very good delivery, I guess. Yeah. It's Especially not, when he had to get like emotional. Mm-hmm. He basically just got louder. Yeah, it's not like he was bad at giving his lines, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I can't really explain this correctly. Like, dry is the best definition I can come up with because he's just... His, like, his delivery's not bad. and It doesn't feel like he's acting per se. It just feels like he doesn't... He's not in the moment. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, like I said, especially when he had to show emotion because he didn't do a very good job of like changing his face, facial features. He basically just got louder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, contrary to, jeez, uh, uh, Pr- uh, Prince David Osai, 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 um, who played Daniel Osaya, probably. Um, who was actually a pretty good actor, I felt. Yeah, I thought he was he was good. He was kind of carrying the pair. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. But, you know, a lot of times, though, like, a really good actor can carry a bad actor. Yeah. In this case, it it just seemed unbalanced. <clears throat> in, in that it, like, he, Daniel wasn't really making him, making Brian better. Uh, yeah, making him seem better anyway. It was just kind of like, well, I'm a good actor. You're not a great actor. And we're kind of contrasting each right. other. So, and I don't want to say that, that Rob Freeman was a bad actor because he was by no means bad. Like it wasn't. No, it wasn't just like, oh my god, dude, come on, get it together. But it it just his delivery was not the best. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't like John Travolta or anything. <laughs> Um, what did you think of the zombies in it? Uh, from what we've already said, they were effective. I, you mentioned that they moved very slowly. Um, I don't know that I was a big fan of how they moved because a lot of typical zombies, you know, essentially the, the Romero zombie, it's uh, you know shambling. Um, but these ones, they like. We're doing like kind of like a little shuffle. Yeah, it's like they just kind of barely put one foot in front of the other. And actually, sometimes they didn't even do like a exchange. You know, left foot, right foot, left foot. They just do like kind of like a half step with one foot, and then put the other foot in front of that one, and then half step with the other foot, first foot, and then a full another step with the second one. You know, it's just kind of like a tiny little shuffle rather than you know like a clumsy shamble like we'd typically see in a zombie. Yeah. And 
I think maybe that was another thing. Like, because there wasn't really a threat, aside from like the zombies sneaking up on you, basically, there wasn't really a huge threat. Other than when kidding you. they outnumber you. Right. But that's that's essentially the case in any slow-moving zombie movie. You know, whenever there's one or two on their own, you can usually take them out. Mm-hmm. The real danger only really comes when there's, you know, when, like you said, when they surprise you or when there's, when there's a large number of them. Right. Yeah, and that's true. I don't know. I guess it's just the intimidation factor that I would typically get from an average zombie not that it wasn't there it just wasn't as prominent I guess okay well one thing I will say about this movie is that it moves fairly slowly very slow but I think it does so in the proper way I don't feel that it's a painful like at at times it is just kind of like okay something needs to happen now but overall I think that this movie feels like what the situation would feel like. Right. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of um, excess, I guess. Yeah. They kept it very natural. Didn't do a lot to make it more dramatic or more action-packed. Yeah, and like there's scenes when they're, they're driving and it's like, you know, there'll be zombies and they'll just drive right past them. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you take something like Zombieland where they're, like, mowing them down. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's fun. <clears throat> but it's like, is that really what you're going to be doing? Mm-hmm. More often than not, you're probably just going to avoid them unless they're coming after you because you don't want to wreck your car and then have no mode of transportation. Right. Um, there was one thing I think was probably my biggest issue with this. And honestly, a lot of, like, I, I see it most often in kind of, like, independent film um, that takes itself too seriously. Just these long, long, long scenes, or maybe even multiple scenes, where there's absolutely no dialogue. Yeah. That happened a lot in this. I mean, there would be five to ten minute segments where there was minimal, if any, dialogue. See, but again, for this situation, I think it works. Because if you're sitting next to somebody that you don't really know, and you're in this hellish situation you're not gonna be sitting there making small talk you know what's your favorite color your mind's gonna be elsewhere and you're just gonna be focusing on the task at hand yeah but i have to while that does have a degree of realism to it you know you're still watching a movie and it's got to keep you engaged sure and for me me personally it one of two things have got to be happening on the screen at all times in a movie there's got to be dialogue or there's got to be some kind of action. And there were points in this movie where n- there were neither. Um, <clears throat> and I don't mean action like explosions or you know gunfights or anything like that. Just something... <laughs> it's not a fucking Michael Bay movie. Right. <laughs> um, there's got to be s- just something happening. Whether it's, you know, them... Somebody fighting off a zombie, uh, you know, even without weapons or... You know, so, uh, you know, a horde of zombies attacking people, or, or something—just something to that degree. Or there's got to be an engaging conversation going on. Um, and like I said, there's just long points during this where neither of those things were happening. Hmm. Well, I think it worked in this situation, so agree to disagree there. Yeah. 
Um, I will say some of the the zombie kills were were pretty good. Some of the like ripping the flesh off and stuff. The, the effects were pretty good in this, I think. Yeah, especially for um, a lower budget film. Yeah, I'm not sure what the budget was, but it looks like it was probably like a medium budget. It definitely wasn't like a major blockbuster or anything. Yeah, and it's uh, kind of a fun fact about this is uh, Rob Freeman, who who played uh, Brian, he actually got malaria. Really? While they were filming this. Oh, shit. And he almost died. <laughs> wow. He got real sick. Um, he was in the hospital for, you know, probably about a week, I think. And um, I wonder and, if, because there's a part in the movie where Brian gets sick. I wonder if that was just, like, written in to <laughs> explain why he looks sullen or... Uh, yeah, I almost... Uh, yeah, I wonder. Um but yeah, this basically all the problems, including like I guess there was some damage to like all the the camera equipment that held up production. Really? Yeah. So I mean, they shot or they were intending to shoot for looks like six weeks, but they ended up shooting for double that. I mean, they, they were shooting for basically three months. Wow. <laughs> um. So yeah, some roadblocks, but the the end product. I mean, aside from all that. It was uh, pretty good, and I was—I I guess overall—I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I think this is this is a good case of showing that you don't need to rewrite the genre in order to make a good zombie movie. Yeah, you don't need to have the zombies run or talk or fly or play volleyball or whatever, or you know, parkour, any, anything that a fucking walking corpse could not do right like this this is very formulaic as far as you know the way the zombies walk talk move bite but it's it works Mm -hmm. you know you like i said you don't have to fucking reinvent the wheel yeah i mean zombie movies have been working this way since i mean i guess 1968 yeah and there's people still well I won't say all people because there are the mindless idiots that need shit like World War Z where zombies are fucking running up walls and shit like that just because their fucking attention span is like two seconds right um and uh but for people like us you know real horror fans people that like zombie movies not purists yeah and not even necessarily purists so much is just people that have a certain image of or you know a, a vision of what a zombie is in their mind and when they see a movie that sticks to that they, I think they enjoy more um, and so yeah that, that concept has been working since 1968 when you know Night of the Living Dead came out um so yeah, yeah, agree wholeheartedly. And there, there is a sequel out too, right? The Dead to India, which is again filmed all on location. I have not seen that one, but I I'm, might have to check it out now after seeing this one. Right, sounds like it's more or less the same. Uh, I mean, it's definitely premise. it's it's definitely not a direct sequel. I mean, you can go and read the the plot synopsis and see that it's different characters. Right, so. 
it's not a continuation. But there are some very distinct similarities, it looks like. Well, I mean, George Romero's movies weren't too terribly different from each other. So. Fair enough. Um, all right, well, anything else to say? Uh, no. All right. So, let's talk numbers. Okay. Um, like I said, overall, I think it's a very very good movie. One of the best zombie movies I've seen in a while, um, as far as new movies. Um, although I do think that Rob Freeman was a little dry and he, he could have done better. Um, I also think there could have been more zombie kills, like more zombie gore, but not not meaning like the zombies themselves, but just like there's one part where they attack a village and that's really the only... Yeah, and that's at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. So I would have liked to have seen more people get picked off, I guess. Mm. But at the same time, so much of the movie is just Brian and Daniel. They would have had to have introduced more characters just to have them be throwaway characters, which is something I don't like. So yeah, I don't really know how I could have accomplished all these things I want, but <laughs> that's why I didn't make the movie. Right. But uh, overall, I'm going to give it a six. All right. Um, like I said, this wasn't a wasn't a bad movie by any account. Um, but I, like I said, it was very slow at points, and it did. There were there were a lot of points. I mean, mainly during those long segments where there wasn't really anything happening, where it's like my attention started to drift. You know, I started thinking, oh well, you know, oh you know, I have to go do this in the in the kitchen or whatever. <laughs> Just like start losing, uh, and, you know, start losing my place in the movie. I had to actually back it up a couple times because I had. Just kind of drifted towards like a you know five minute segment. Just like, well, what the fuck just happened back there? Yeah, I had to do that once too. I got a, a chat thing and I started reading that, and I looked up and there was all of a sudden there was this big fire, and I'm like, well, where the hell did that come from? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I had that going on, and uh, just the fact that, like I said, it was just so slow at points, and like you mentioned, uh, Freeman wasn't terrible but he could have been better yeah uh it, it just almost seemed like he was having an off day like i guess sense that he had it in him but he just wasn't delivering yeah 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 um but anyway um so overall it was pretty good um and i think i'm gonna say a f- a five um which i'd like to remind you that that's not a terrible rating that's right in the middle. It's a good, just average movie. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's move the show along and jump into the next movie, uh, movie which was Night of the Living Dead of 1990. They came to pay their respects. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Why do you have to be so cruel? What? Show some respect. Now, they're running for their lives. A biologist in Stockton, California, have released reports focusing on the phenomenon, specifically on that trance-like state. Every shelter is becoming a trap. Are you sure we're going to be all right? Cooper, you got to help me out! And every road out... Don't stop no matter what happens. 
is just another dead end. They're coming right for us. George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. All right, so like I said, this is Night of the Living Dead 1990, which is the remake of the original 1968 film. Um, this was directed by Tom Savini, who was supposed to have done the makeup on the original Night of the Living Dead, but he actually got called away to Vietnam. Right. So, but he did come back and do Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this was actually his directing debut, and interestingly enough, uh, George Romero actually wrote the screenplay for this movie. As I understand it, um, like the original Night of Living Dead from 1968 is public domain. Yes. And the company who put it out is the company who did this remake, and they did it so they could get the rights back. Not to the original. Well, I mean, to the name. Uh, As I understand it. I, I, I could be mistaken, but that's... So I, I believe, you know, Romero and, the, and uh, the same production company and stuff were all involved to try and uh, reclaim yeah. I mean, the it, property. It doesn't appear that John Russo was involved. Which is good. <laughs> um, yeah, he can take his Living Dead subtitle and go fuck himself. <laughs> Yeah, go rave to the grave. <laughs> um, anyway, so, I mean, this is a pretty familiar plot. Um, if you've seen the original, then you kind of know what happens. There are just pretty distinct differences, though. Um, but film starts with Barbara and her brother Johnny, played by Bill Mosley. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Who you probably wouldn't recognize. No, not at all. I mean, he's got really, well, not super short, but, you know, he's younger. So, um, you know, sometimes people are a little harder to identify when they're younger than you're used to seeing them. He's got kind of like, like, kind of like dirty blonde hair. And he's wearing glasses and a suit, you know, far cry from driving gloves. Yeah, (laughs) far cry from Otis Driftwood, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but then he starts talking. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's fucking Chop Top. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are driving to a cemetery, so, you know, pretty similar to the original, to see, to visit their mother's grave. Now, in the original, you might remember that it's actually, they're going to visit, I believe it was their grandfather, or maybe their father, but they were sent there by their mother. Mm-hmm. In this, they're actually going to their mother's grave. Um, and from there, it, it really follows the original pretty closely. Uh, they are attacked in the cemetery by a zombie. And now this one, this zombie was much better than the one in the original. I know that the graveyard zombie in... Um, the original is pretty iconic. You know, if you're a fan of zombies at all, you know what he looks like. But this one was really gruesome. Um, just really kind of decayed and um, really pr- 
personifies what an image of a zombie is, I think. The the makeup on this one was done by well, it was supervised by a guy named Everett Burrell, who you may recognize some of his other works. Uh, he did A Good Day to Die Hard, um, Warm Bodies. Not that that was a good movie, but uh, The Mist, Pan's Labyrinth. So he's got a good resume. Yeah. Was this? I mean, did he do anything beyond or before this, or is this kind of his uh, breakout? Uh, he did Reanimator. Mm, okay. Um, he also did the original Day of the Dead. Oh. Well, all right. So and yeah. Tony's favorite movie, Vamp. <laughs> you know, it's funny when we're, when I was watching uh, Fright Night, I was watching it on Netflix, and when it ended, uh, Netflix will bring up, you know, they kind of send the the credits up into like the corner of the screen and it'll pop up like suggestions for you and one of the first suggestions was fucking vamp and I just had to laugh to myself um, but anyway back to this and then my favorite zombie of the whole movie is, is the second one to appear and it's the fucking autopsy zombie that's pretty gruesome yeah and it, it, it's subtle but still pretty like it's not like really that Gory because there's not a whole lot of blood. Okay, I think mean, it's a corpse, so obviously yeah. he's you know most of his blood's probably dried up by now. But it's just this giant autopsy scar across his entire chest. Yeah, it's just a big Y incision. Just that it's not even like all the way stitched up. Yeah, look like. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting because it didn't uh, look like he was a zombie at first. I mean, he was obviously recently dead. Mm-hmm. And Barbara was actually trying to call to him for help. But as he walked further, you could see that his he's starting to walk over his burial suit. Um, and it's starting to pull off him because, for those of you who don't know, actually, I don't know if this is necessarily a practice anymore, but typically in the past, suits were put on from the front and they're basically split up, split up the back just because it was easier to put, like, to dress a body that way. Sure. Um, so he was starting to walk over his suit and pull it off, and that's when it starts to reveal that Y incision. And The whole reveal <clears throat> of that zombie is fantastic. It really is. Because, like, you, you see her call to him, and then it shows from behind him, mm-hmm. and that's when you see the split in the suit. And, you know, if you know, like you just said, then you're just like, oh, shit. Yeah. And then, yeah, as he walks, the suit just falls down, and you see this giant scar. Mm-hmm. Um. That whole opening scene is so much more uh, effective th- than the original. And it's a shame because the original is so classic. And I know a lot of people don't like this remake. Um, I don't know why, because Romero and fucking Tom Savini were both involved. <laughs> um, but it was so much more um, intense, I guess. Oh, John Russo was a producer on this. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Well, fuck me. Um, he, um, no, not he. The whole scene was obviously a lot more graphic. I mean, zombies aside, um, the the way in which Johnny is killed is the same, but a lot more gruesome. Yeah. Not it's... so much blood, but just watching it happen. Right. Um, I mean, he gets in a tussle with the with the graveyard zombie and basically they trip and fall and Johnny smashes his head open on a grave uh, on a headstone yeah which is the same as the original 
Um, so there should be no surprises there. Um, and, I mean, like, this this is... If you're going to do a remake, then this is the, the how you should do it. Like, it's the same story, but you beef up the effects because you got a higher budget, plus it's been 22 years, so obviously there's been technological advances. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you know, just completely rewrite everything. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you, you change up the script uh, to be more um, reflective of the time. Uh, you know, let, let me kind of get through the plot, and we'll go into that a little more. So, as you know, Barbara escapes and runs to a nearby farmhouse. And in there, she is attacked by a couple zombies that she manages to escape from. And then coming up the road like a bat out of hell is Ben, played by Tony Todd. Candyman. Fan of the Grave Pond podcast. <laughs> little elaboration on that. Tony Todd recently started following us on Twitter, which was awesome. Yeah, me and Tony both... We, we we kind of squeed a little bit. <laughs> um, like it popped up on my phone, and my reaction was I went. My girlfriend sitting next to me, she's like, "What? What happened?" <laughs> I showed it to her, and she's like, "I don't know who that is." <laughs> I was like, "It's Candyman." She's like, "I don't know what that means." And then you're like, "Stupid girl." <laughs> oh, you don't talk about that part. No, no comment. <laughs> Um, anyway, so Ben comes up and they kind of start to lock down the house. They discover there are people in the basement. It's uh, Tommy, um, Judy, uh, and then Harry and Helen Cooper and their daughter, who has been bitten. But at this point, it doesn't occur to any of them that the bite is contagious. I mean, that, that's where zombies come from. And now we know. <laughs> That's how that's how zombies are born. Murder <laughs> um, zombies come from. Now, one of the differences I could say uh, from the original and maybe like kind of an update is that Tommy, or I guess he's I guess he's just Tom the original, but he goes by Tommy in this one. Um, rather than being kind of like a, you know. A good, you know, homeboy or not, not homeboy. <laughs> uh, you know, just kind of John Q. Everyman, I guess. Just really white bread, kind of plain guy. Kind of a bumpkin. In the original, yeah. Sort of. I, I mean, I guess, but compared to the Tommy in in this version, who's a lot more of a redneck. Yeah. Uh, got more, definitely more of that bumpkin vibe, you know, really, you know, NRA, NRA person, you know, um, and so is uh, Judy as well, she's kind of a, kind of a hick. Yeah, she's kind of got that whole, like, um, Daisy Duke kind of, yeah. uh, Ellie Mae Clampett kind of persona. My daddy was a truck driver. Right. And, you know, this movie takes place in, um... Uh, Pennsylvania kind of doesn't really say where but um, I don't understand why Tommy and Judy both spoke with southern accents <laughs> maybe they're transplants <laughs> maybe but I mean 
the house is owned by Tommy's Uncle Reach. Um, so, I don't know. Whole family transplants. Maybe whole extended family. I don't know. Maybe Uncle Reach moved and then he died, so he left his house to Tommy and Judy. But Uncle Reach was there. Oh, that's right. But he was dead. He, he, was, <laughs> he was dead. <laughs> but I, I feel like that may have been a surprise to Tommy. <laughs> Especially when he got up and started walking around. <laughs> right. Um, so, basically, much like the original, they are locked up in the house trying to hold down the fort. Basically, both hope, waiting and hoping that hope, help is going to come. And I'm also trying to think of a way to get out. Barbara. Actually, I guess maybe now would be a good time to start talking about kind of the differences between the two. Um, I think probably the most obvious is the role of Barbara, being that she was just a complete useless victim in the original. Yeah, that's an understatement. Yeah, I mean, she... And especially, especially if you've seen this one first, which actually I did. I, I saw this one way before I ever saw the original. Um, to see this and then see the original, Barbara is just a gross disappointment. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Do something! <laughs> um, but in this, she's more... You know, she starts out very weepy, much like the original. Um obviously just kind of bewildered and confused when when she first meets with Ben. Ben's just trying to get some information out of her. It's like, is this your house? What's your name? You know, uh, is there... Do you have a car? Things of that nature. Speak English. Yeah. And she's just kind of staring at him and, like, can't get her wits about her. Um, But eventually it comes to a point where she starts getting kind of a warrior mindset almost. Um... And turns very, um, warrior esque, <laughs> I guess. Um, and that changes the whole feel of the movie, I think. Yeah, she more or less becomes the, the heroine in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as opposed to the original where there wasn't really a hero. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a, a group dynamic. Yeah, there was no real standout. I mean, you see, kind of Ben is kind of like iconic in in not just horror but film in general, being that he was kind of like regarded as like the first black film hero. Right, which is funny because I mean, at least if if Romero is telling the truth, they they didn't plan to cast a black actor. Yeah, there right. there was no race in the script. Mm-hmm. They just thought Dwayne Jones was the best actor for the role, right? Um, and f- for that to be, you know, for him to be such an icon, you know, forty years later, fifty, forty, uh, forty-six, forty-six, um, for him to be such an icon, I really doubt that he probably ever saw that coming. Yeah, um, but. Like I said, he was regarded as such a hero, but he, he really wasn't. I mean, he was really just there to survive. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much like everyone else. Uh, I'm pretty sure he would have killed everyone in that house if he had to. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And that became a lot more prevalent 
in this version, I think, because Tony Todd, he's a very intense actor. <laughs> he, 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 you know, takes everything to eleven. Maybe even at points when he's not, when he shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but this, it played really well. I thought, um, you know, he was just as scared as any, everyone, but also willing to protect his own ass yeah. at all costs. Um, which that may be not something that you don't really notice or realize unless you kind of delve into the like actually what's going on on screen because on at the service he looks like a hero but like I said when you start getting into it and like thinking about who he is and what he is he's really not he's just a survivalist basically yeah which is kind of what happens with Barbara in this one Mm mm-hmm yeah, and yeah, I mean, I guess Barbara kind of takes on a lot of that, uh, maybe that characterization from the original Ben. Yeah, it's funny that this one is written by George Romero because it's like even when he's rewriting his own movie, he's got a new social commentary that he's plugging in there. Right. The, you know, empowering of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see. I guess everybody's personalities are a lot more intense than the original. Yeah, a little more exaggerated. Yeah, like, I mean, like you said, Tom was kind of a, like you said, kind of a bumpkin. I say just a kind of white bread, plain guy, I think, um, in the original. And then this, he was a lot more of a, a redneck. Very, a rube. <laughs> sure. Um, just a lot more pronounced. I mean, you know, wearing, you know, I guess it wasn't a trucker hat, but I don't know. He, just, he very he very much personified plaid shirt, Wranglers, you know. Yeah, that that image. Um, uh, ben was obviously, like I said, a lot more intense. Um, Barbara was actually completely different than the original, and I, I almost wonder if Romero did that on purpose. Like maybe he didn't just didn't like the way. Barbara was presented at first, or maybe just try not not keep her as a centralized character, maybe. Maybe, like like I said, maybe he just wanted to have a more female empowered. That that very well could be, um, and then I think the most pronounced was uh, Harry Cooper. He's a fucking wanker. Yeah, I mean he he was kind of an asshole in the original, but this one, um, God who. Um, uh, Tom Towles. Yeah. Tom Towles, he took it to the nth degree. Like, in the original, Harry is a survivalist to the nth degree. Like, he doesn't care about anybody mm-hmm. but himself and his family. In this one, he's just an asshole. Yeah, he doesn't care about anyone but himself. Not yeah. even really his family so much. I mean, he's constantly fighting with his wife, Helen, who... I don't know. I guess maybe Helen, because she's actually not so much a main character, I think, in this. She's more of a secondary character. Yeah. Along with uh, their daughter, Sarah. Um, I don't have a name for that actress in front of me. Uh, Heather Mazur. Thank you. Um, that might be Mazur. It could be Mazur. I don't know. <clears throat> Regardless, um... Yeah, Cooper, he fought with his wife, basically, 
every chance he can get. It, you know, it seemed like he was kind of almost like a drunk. I mean, it started his first appearance. He held, had a beer in his hand. Um, and just uh, from from the start, he had kind of a, a rivalry and mutual hatred with Ben, um, which I don't remember. Was that... As, that, that wasn't as pronounced in the original. Not as pronounced, no. But I, I think in the original, Harry was kind of he was the kind of the leader of the group. That you know was him and uh, his, Helen and Sarah, and then Tommy and Judy, mm-hmm. and then Ben and Barbara came in, and Ben kind of took over the leadership role, and I think he resented him for that. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it's just immediately just butting heads. Right. Which kind of gives it an air of racism. A little bit. Which I, I don't know if that's intentional, but it's just, you know, you see a white guy and a black guy instantly hate each other. It's Your first thought is always going to go there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, Romero, it's completely possible. True. Um, and I can only imagine that Savini, being, you know, a close personal friend of George Romero, wanted to stay true to his words you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine there were a lot of changes from Romero's screenplay to what you see on screen. Yeah. Um, so this, being that this movie is what twenty four years old. Yep. Um, no more. Or the moratorium has expired. Spoilers ahead. Uh, the ending of this is drastically different. You may remember in the original that Barbara is actually taken away by a zombie and you just don't see her again in the original not not just a zombie her brother right and in you know in this you actually see johnny again but he's piled up in a body of or in a in a pile of corpses with other you know dead zombies assuming Mm -hmm. he had changed um i mean otherwise i imagine he'd probably still be laying in the graveyard of course i don't know that doesn't make sense though I mean, I'm just really kind of speculating at this point, but because the last you see of him is when he smashes his head on the headstone. And Unless that didn't kill him, and then the zombie ate him. Possibly off screen. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, you have to assume that it did, though, because that's that's the way that they present it. Yeah. And then, but I mean, having brain damage, obviously, otherwise he wouldn't be dead. Unless it's airborne. What does that matter? Well, because then whoever dies would come back no matter what. Not if there's brain damage, because I mean, in, in this, I mean, you shoot a zombie in the head and it dies. Oh yeah. So presumably, a dead body with brain damage couldn't come back. Presumably. Maybe he broke his neck. Maybe. Who knows? So yeah, Barbara, like I said, dies in the original. She's kind of dragged off by Zombie Johnny. <laughs> um, in this, she's actually like more or less the lone survivor. Um, at the end, uh, Ben and Cooper actually get in kind of a gunfight because um, Sarah comes back, or she she dies and comes back as a zombie. Um, and first attacks Helen 
who dies. Um, and it's kind of, kind of interesting off screen that she dies, and there's just blood scattered across the wall, or you know, splattered, I should say. Um, and the blood splatters onto a gardening trowel. And it's funny because that is actually the way that Sarah kills Helen in the original film, right. with a gardening trowel. That's, I think, I can't remember if this is like when we were talking before or if we actually mentioned it on the show, but um, the difference between the zombies. Yeah, that was something I was going to talk about. Okay, well, I'll, I'll let you, I'll save that and let you talk about it then. Um, but as I said, Sarah comes up the stairs, starts approaching Cooper, and obviously he's stunned because this is his daughter who... I'm sure he consents is going to kill him. And Ben keeps telling him to shoot her, and he won't do it. So Ben takes the liberty of shooting her, and so Cooper shoots Ben. And they get in kind of a gunfight, and Cooper escapes up into the attic, and Ben tells Barbara to leave because he knows he's not going to make it. Um, And... My favorite part of that whole thing is when they're trying to leave and they, they can't get to the gas tank because there's a, there's a lock on it. And then Ben, when they're in the, the basement, he falls into a chair bleeding and he looks over and sees the key dangling mm-hmm. on the wall. He yeah. just kind of laughs to himself. Um, and so, yeah, Ben goes down to the basement uh, and kind of locks himself, yeah, locks himself in and... That's where he counters zombie Helen and dispatches her quickly. And then she kind of fades out, and Barbara is getting away, and she kind of happens along some militia members. And they, A bunch of good old boys. Yeah. Card-carrying NRA members. God bless America. Yep. <laughs> Self-appointed uh, militia. Yeah. So next morning, they all actually all go back to the house. They're all just cleaning up all the zombies and they open up the basement and Ben walks out and now he's a zombie which brings up an interesting point he wasn't bitten again I asked maybe it was airborne right but I mean that's never really described that's true Um, I mean presumably it's through a bite because I actually now I'm thinking about it the only real evidence we have of that was that Sarah was bitten. Yeah. And that's really the only thing that shows us that it's even contract, or, you know, the can contract the virus. Other than that, I mean, you don't really see any transition. Yeah. I mean, in the original, there's, you know, the, the newscaster even speculates about what could be causing it. They talk about a satellite or... You know, some different things, but they never really fully explain what it is. Yeah, and that's always been kind of ambiguous in Romero's universe. Yeah. Because there's never really a clear reason why there are zombies in the first place. Right. Um, and that that's pretty much stays true through this version as well. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest difference in the end is that in the, in the original, Ben wasn't a zombie. Right. He had locked himself in the basement. And then when they when they had come to clean up, he came out of the basement, and they saw him and thought he was a zombie and shot him in the head. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember hearing—I think it might have been in the in the Dock of the Dead, um, 
Romero saying that in 1990 they didn't feel like they could have this group of good old boys shoot a black man in the head. Yeah, I mean, they did in this one, but he was a zombie. He was a zombie, right. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I mean, as far as, like, uh, the way the zombie virus is contracted, maybe it's similar to The Walking Dead in that... But it's... in in this one... Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but in this one... But um, you're going to do it anyway. Uh, yeah, but fuck you. <laughs> uh, uh, Harry is alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Barbara shoots him. Yeah. She, yeah, he comes up and says, you came back. And he's like, happy to see her. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he's resented her for the last hour and a half. Um, and then she's like, pop, pop. Cap, put a cap in his ass. Yeah. And then one of the guys is like, was he a zombie? And she's like, yep. Not quite. Well, that's, <laughs> I don't remember the fucking quote. Well, they, they kind of, the, the two little boys that saved her initially kind of walk up behind her. And she just starts reloading her gun and says, another one for the fire. Right. Because they have, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. They are burning just a pile of zombies yeah. out in the front yard. Um, it's, it's really a little sick the way these guys are, like, having fun with the zombies. Yeah. Um, and that's something that you kind of see... I guess not maybe in all of Romero's work, but I th- one thing in, in particular is in Land of the Dead, when they're kind of in their like underground city, and like you can you can take a picture with the zombie. Yeah, um, you Play, know. played by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Right, <laughs> um, and but in this they are. You know, they they set up kind of like a. It almost seems like it may be like a horse, um, horse exercise area, like a like a pen, or maybe like not necessarily a pig pen, but you know, a fenced off small ring type area. Yeah. And they're like kind of wrestling with the zombies. Yeah. And uh, they've got other zombies like strung up in a tree, and they're just using them for target practice. Um. And so they're just they're using the zombies as entertainment, which, as opposed to the kind of white bread, you know, nineteen sixties mentality type militia, where they're just you know just putting them out and you know put, putting the zombies down and destroying the bodies. Yeah, this is a lot more of that good old boy mentality, I guess. Right. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, drunken hillbillies, basically. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I guess now I'll kind of open it up to you to talk about like the difference between the, the styles of zombies. Yeah, um, it's funny because we, we I was over at your place last night and we were watching the original, mm-hmm. and I was pointing out these things that they're by today's standards, which is weird to say that classic by today's standards, but these. <laughs> zombie tropes that we've come to accept uh, uh, a lot of them are broken in the original Night of the Living Dead Yeah, but then they seem to kind of get remedied in this one mm-hmm. for example zombies using tools in the original the graveyard zombie uses a rock to smash in their window Yeah, or um, like you said Sarah uses the, the gardening tool to, to stab her mother to death mm-hmm. she doesn't just bite her 
And and then another thing was zombies being afraid of fire. Right. In the original, they were able to take a torch and just kind of swing it around, and all the zombies would back up. Well, actually, they did do that in the in this one too. Did they? Yeah, Ben went out with he had the table leg, just kind of swinging it at him, and they all just kind of. Oh, I guess you're right. But that's not something I've ever really associated with zombies, is the fear of fire. Um, I mean, I don't know. This is kind of like, well, not this necessarily, but the original is kind of like an establishing of modern, you know, to an effect, modern zombie tropes and, and lore. Um, and if I, if it says it's the zombies are afraid of fire, then maybe they're afraid of fire. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Um, something I would like to discuss just from a um, special effects and kind of makeup point of view is the very clear indifference in the look of the zombies. There wasn't a lot of gore, like, really at all in the original. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're talking about a micro-budget picture, though. Well, sure. But, I mean, it's black and white. I mean, for actual blood... When the zombies were feeding, they used just they used Bosco sauce, yeah, you know, chocolate sauce, um, and uh, and bits of ham, right? And so, I mean, yeah, micro budget, but it, you know, in black and white, when you don't really have to present a lot of like like accurate color, you know. True. Yeah, you can go a little nuts. Yeah. Um. And. It's just it, the the difference in, particularly the graveyard zombie, as I mentioned before. The graveyard zombie, you have to assume that the guy was probably wearing some kind of makeup to make him look kind of you know sallowed and, and dead. Um, but obviously, it doesn't translate in black and white. Um, and in this, this was like basically your modern idealized version of a zombie just very dead decomposed mm-hmm. and uh, animalistic almost um, as opposed to the original where he was like you mentioned using tools you know he picked up a rock to smash a window and this graveyard zombie wouldn't have the f- the mentality or the foresight to do that it's basically just right he's just machine. starts banging on the window yeah um this version i mean when you when you got a movie that's directed by a special effects artist you know obviously you're gonna have some pretty intense things going on yeah um i mean i'm sure he was you know it was, you said it was supervised by uh something everett i can't remember the name Everett Burrell. Everett, okay. Um, yeah, he said he was the, the supervisor, but, you know, fucking Savini was the supervisor. <laughs> um, so, um, just a lot more graphic gore and um, just really intense visual things going on as opposed to the original. And granted, like you said, you know, the differences in budget are obviously a factor. But Yeah. Um And I think that's probably a big reason why I tend to enjoy this one more. I mean 
you know, you can call me a, a heretic, mainly, or maybe, but, like, I have a hard time with black and white movies. Um, it's just, it just doesn't keep me engaged like a color movie would. Um, and so the, I think that's another reason why I kind of enjoy this one more than the original. I can see that. Yeah. Um, but also just the special effects and the visuals are a lot more intense and a lot more engaging. Yeah. I think this one's paced better, too. Yeah. It definitely... And that was maybe just a sign of the times. That was just how movies were made back then. Could be. Also could be because this is, like, pretty much everyone involved with the one in 1968. It was their first movie. Right. Yeah. Um, Better acting, for sure. Yeah. But... um, Well, I think I kind of touched on all the points I wanted to address. You got anything else? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Well, let's talk about ratings then. Okay. Um, am I going first? Uh, sure. All right. Uh, I I enjoy this movie a lot. I think this is one of few movies where the remake is better than the original. Really? Yeah. I honestly didn't expect to hear that from you. Well, there it is. I mean, I, I'm putting I sh- it on the table. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I I would have thought that you would enjoy the original more. I mean, the original is iconic. It's always going to have a special place in my heart. But I just think, from a story perspective and from a visual perspective, I think this one is better. Sure. I'm and not like you know, world's better, but better. Mm. Um. So that being said, I am going to give it an eight. All right. Um. I think I pretty much agree with you on on most points. Um, I think that this was a lot more... um, The visuals aside, I mean, I was thoroughly impressed by them, and I think they most of the effects still hold up to today's standards, I think. Especially in a world of CGI now. In a world of CGI. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They are still... You know, they still hold up, I think. Um, and I think the di- the direction was a lot better, I think. Um, I mean, George Romero, he created a subgenre. And basically the modern image of a, of a vampire, a vampire, zombie. And, you know, I appreciate him for that. But honestly, his films don't do all that much for me. I, th- his, I think a lot of the social commentary, you know, the underlying things in his movies, just they're a little too obvious and just kind of make me kind of shut down a little bit. Um, and so this not being as extreme in that regard kept me a little more engaged. Um, and it, it, again, I'll just kind of read it. Read it reiterate things I've said already and you know just better scripting you know obviously this is written by Romero but you know an extra 20 years of experience in the field you know he probably was able to write a better script um well I mean this is post Dawn of the Dead post Day of the Dead which yeah exactly he's kind of cut his teeth a little bit yeah um and yeah, I mean, when, at this point, he was kind of like the master of zombies. You know, he was like the godfather yeah. of the subgenre. Um, 
And so just basically every everything was better. <laughs> I mean, like I said, color, um, better scripting, better acting, um, better character development, for sure. Um, and yeah, I just I, I thoroughly enjoy this movie. Um, probably you know as much as I did the first time I saw it. So that being said, I think I'll probably match your rating and say eight. All right, well. Made it through another one. I think we're probably just a little over an hour. Um, yeah. So, yeah, hopefully this was a little less uh, tiresome to make it through than our two or three hour episodes. Hopefully our episodes aren't tiresome. Well, no, hopefully not. I'm being self-deprecating just well, knock as, it a, off. as a joke. <laughs> All right, well, tune in next week. We'll have another full episode for you. In Week of the Werewolf. (laughs) Uh, We'll be reviewing Skinwalkers and Dog Soldiers. So, of course, if you have opinions on those, send them to us at graveplotpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at grave underscore plot. That's going to be interesting because I don't know about you, but I haven't seen either of those movies. Neither have I, no. Um, So, as opposed to these past two episodes... And actually, one coming up that we've done already, uh, that's been pre-recorded. Uh, I think this is the first one where I haven't seen either movie. No? So. All right. So uh, make sure you head over to graveplotpodcast.com. Everything you need is right there. Go buy yourself some merchandise. And uh, we will see you next week. Yeah. Till then, I am Taylor of Terror. And I am Skeletoni. This has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all just a little dead inside. Upon this threshold of disaster, the birth of the 11th grade, the fire's burning night, I begin to doubt the smell of burning flesh, will ever fade away. The touch of death is all around us, a thousand corpses lock on. Man-made chair makes almost